0: Just before Jack speaks, just going to pray uh, with him before he brings God's Word to us. Right. Father, I just thank you for the chance to be together now and to learn from your Word. Father, I want to thank you for Jack. I thank you for his preparation uh, as he prepares to take us through the section of Acts. Lord, we thank you for the introduction that Neil gave us last week. But Father, I just pray that you would be with Jack, Lord, that your Spirit would work through him, that you would teach each one of us, Father, that our hearts would be ready and open to learn. Um, and, Father, that you would just be with him now and bring to mind everything that you've prepared, Lord, um, and let all other things fall away. So, Father, be with him and speak through him. Amen. Amen. Thanks, 3rd of February, 1970. Cusper B. Reynolds was scheduled to speak in chapel. He decided that the message that he prepared, he wasn't going to deliver. But rather, he felt led to invite people to give personal testimonies. Many around had been praying for spiritual renewal and were now in an expectant mood. Soon, there was a large group waiting in line to speak. A spirit of powerful revival came upon the congregation. The chapel was filled with rejoicing people. Classes were cancelled for a week during the 144 hours of unbroken revival. But even after classes resumed in February 10th, Hughes Auditorium was left open for prayer and testimony. And these sessions were presided over by Reynolds, Clarence Hunter and other faculty, some 2,000 witness teams went out from Wilmore to churches and at least 130 college campuses around the nation. In March 1992, a student confession during the closing chapel of annual holiness conference turned into 127 consecutive hours of prayer and praise. And in February 2006, a student chapel led to four days of continuous prayer worship, prayer, and praise. Today, it's been a few weeks, nearly a month since we've seen continuous worship, prayer, and praise happen at Asprey University in Wilmore. And I laughed with Neil last week because I think I was actually the first that wanted to use the um, (laughs) the Asprey illustration, but Ian and Neil have both talked about it. But I think that... That shows what's what's going on, and it's not something that we. I'm going to talk about it, but this isn't something that we should covet or envy. And it's because the the Holy Spirit, the the expectant mood that they're in in Wilmore at the minute is the same Holy Spirit that we have here in Bethany in Finnickie. Neil introduced us last week to a lot of what we'll be learning through Acts, the book of Acts, this birth of the early church. And there's so many themes and core principles that you see that run through that we are instilling uh, into our church still today. And as we dig deeper into the individual passages that um, different speakers are going to be speaking on for the 28 chapters that we have in Acts, we will see these Themes run through, and some of the ones that Neil talked about were power and presence dependent on the Holy Spirit, prayer, importance of the prayer, corporate and personal, community, small groups living together, mission, evangelism, teaching, devotion themselves to it, resurrection and suffering. Today, I want to be looking at Acts 1, uh, 12 to 26. And I just want to take some time now um, to read to read that passage. and um, I'm going to split it up into three different sections, but I want us just to read it through um, as one. It's maybe going to be, well, it's not maybe, it's going to be very hard to read from the screen, but um, I want it to read through and just see the flow of, of this passage first. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was all at about one hundred and twenty, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was murdered um, or he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Sands, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias, and they prayed and said, "'You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, "'show which one of these two you have chosen "'to take the place in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So I see this passage being broke up into into three different sections. We see it as the moving on um, from Bethany to Jerusalem after the ascension. We see um Peter speech and Matthias being chosen So when we look at the ascension that we see just before so one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in oh no that's not it so when they had come together they asked him lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel he said to them it is not for you to know times or seasons That the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth and when he had said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight and when they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood by them in white robes and said men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven, this Jesus who was taken up from you into, into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we see that in the verses from um, chapter 1 6, just up until 12. So we're in this period of waiting. Jesus was with the disciples, he was with um, them before, and then we see the Holy Spirit coming. In Acts chapter 2. So, these verses from 12 until 26 is this period of waiting for something to come. So, they had returned, they were in Bethany um, at this time, and they went on the journey. They went and they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And um, we see this is about, about half a mile. This was taken, the journey. Known as the Sabbath journey is because the amount of walking that they could have done before it would have been considered work. And they gathered back at the upper room. So it wasn't our upper room, as we see, but the upper room where the disciples would have had their last meal with Jesus, where he ate with them, instituted the new covenant in his blood, gave them last minute instructions and encouragement, and prayed his high priestly prayer over them before facing the death of which he came into this world. Luke then lists all the disciples that were there, but where unity is shown for me, I see this, I thought I was really clever when I was looking and I was reading at this passage and I was thought that I was really original because I saw this theme of unity running through the passage and then I read the book um, that Neil talked about by Warren Wearsby and he talked all about unity, so... It either gives reassurance that someone smarter than him is talking about it, or maybe I'm just not as original as I thought, but we see this unity running through um, in the contrast in this meeting in the upper room and the last, because in the last time that the disciples were in the upper room with Jesus, we see in Luke 22:24. so I think um, it should be on the screen if we can read, so a dispute also arose among them as to which of them who is to be regarded as the greatest. So this is when the disciples were arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest disciple? So we see this, this disconnect. They're all arguing among each other. They're all arguing about who is meant to be um, the greatest. And Jesus stopped and rebuked them. And we see in the, in the other um, account in John that this was the moment that Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. Verse 14, though, here in Acts, we see these words. It's very small. All of these with one accord. One accord in complete agreement, in complete unity. They had changed the attitudes that they had the previous time that they were in the upper room, this time when they were in the upper room, they were in, with one accord in complete agreement, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It's a small literary moment that we see from Luke, but what it does is it sets up the attitude that disciples had before and after. Jesus' resurrection and ascension. In complete unity now and community, they are actively praying for the spirit that is to come in Acts 2, rather than looking to Jesus in the heavens as described in verse 11. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They're not looking up now, to wait on the Jesus that has just left. They're on their knees praying for the Spirit to come, which Jesus said he would leave behind. And that theme of prayer is what Neil mentioned last week, that you'll run through this story of Acts. In the upper room, the main activity was prayer. Another, however, in this title of the sermon today is Waiting and Expecting. So a theme that we see in the upper room in this passage is waiting. They would have waited. They're waiting in this moment for the spirit to descend, as mentioned, but we've also been reminded in verse four wait for the promise of the Father. This is something that you'd see continually in both Old Testament and New Testament is to wait for the promise. Of the father Peter then stands up with all 120 people and refers back to the Old Testament of the scripture being fulfilled he references David in the Psalms in Psalm 55 12 and 13 for it is not an enemy who taunts me then I could bear it it's not an adversary who deals insolently with me then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. This is in reference to um, Judas and the scripture that had to be fulfilled. And Peter says this, that this was another section of scripture that had to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit had spoke through David in reference to the situation that would unfold. And Peter then goes on to mention the details of this account of, of Judas where he led Jesus to the Roman council, took the 30 pieces of silver, and although he returned them, the chief priest bought a field, and despite the accounts of his death are highlighted by the field of blood where he died. The retelling of this can be quite gruesome. The, um, what maybe People assumed would have happened Judas and how he died after, um, after leaving. But the reason that Peter's telling us this account, the reason why he's going into the detail that he's going into, was to highlight to the people, to highlight to the 120 that would have been listening, the control that Satan had over the life of Judas. And that opposite of Jesus' words in John 10.10, of him coming to bring life to the full, the enemy comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And we have to be aware that Satan does want total control over our lives and bring that total destruction and disgrace to a person or family. And then finally, the last section of Matthias, being chosen, and to be honest, when I first read this, I sort of felt a wee bit, this isn't really fitting into the line of what I want to say today because what we actually see and how they decided um, to choose Matthias was them casting lots. So I just saw it as luck. They're just marking stones and they would have had it maybe in, like a, in a jar or a tub and shaking it and then throwing it out. And that's how they decided. And I thought, well, that's not really going to work for me today and how I'm meant to tell people to wait on God. But actually, it's exactly what they were doing. When we see them casting lots to the side, the next disciple, when I read into what it meant, they were completely handing the situation over to the Lord. And this would have happened in the Old Testament quite often, We see, maybe see it in Chronicles but the first and only time that we see it in the New Testament. So an indicator that we actually see that we now have this new wise way to make godly life decisions. And the fact that it only happened once in the New Testament and this placement of this verse, the very next verse is the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is an ending to the old way of decision-making because now we have a Holy Spirit to wait on to help us decide and guide our decision-making. They also just didn't decide that it would be a new fun way to decide things. As we read earlier, in that upper room, they were waiting, they were praying to God, And this is why they were fully handing this situation over to God to say, we trust fully in the decision that comes out of these casting lots. The disciple that you choose, the apostle, the man that you um, lay before us, he will be the one that you have chosen. For us now, we are called to pray and to wait on God. Prayer is something that is very common in Bethany. We have a prayer meeting on a Thursday night. Dave prayed for me before I spoke. We prayed before the service started. For a lot of us, it might seem quite normal, seem quite intuitive. It's not something that we find alien now or uncomfortable potentially. But the discipline of waiting on God is something that I don't find we always commonly talk about. And ironically, waiting on God cannot be rushed. When we sit in the presence of God, whether in his word or through prayer, if we want God to speak or his Holy Spirit to reveal himself, we cannot dictate that time scale. Waiting on God is a discipline that has to be carefully crafted through devotion in his word, time in prayer, and in solitude. If we bring it into the practicalities of normal day-to-day life, when we talk to a person, if we're talking over them, we can't hear the words that we're saying. If we're distracted in a conversation of things that are going around us or things that we need to do after, or if we're in a conversation and we're thinking about the next thing that we want to say, we're not listening to what that person is saying. Or if we don't even meet with that person in the first place, obviously you're not going to know the things that they say. But so often we find in our prayer life when we're reading our Bible, we're distracted by the things that are around us. We're distracted by the things that we need to do or what's happened in the day. We hand stuff over to the Lord, we talk, we pray, which is good. We're called to be in a personal relationship with God. God wants to know the things that is happening in our life, but He also wants us to sit and to listen. He wants us. A personal relationship is two way. And obviously, to be in that frame of mind of prayer and waiting on God comes from a place of actually having that time. I always get shouted at for using uh, big words in sermons, or you know, words that people say. Obviously, isn't Jack language? Um, but I'm going to use another one to, um, today because, and I. Ronnie's not here, is he? I was like, I need a linguistics professor to kind of tell me if this is possible. But I feel like words potentially have paces. And that might seem confusing. It was confusing to me. But the word that I wanted to use was indwelling. Because for me, the pace of the word indwelling is slow. Indwelling is slow. It wants you to... Wait, And that idea, that imagery that indwelling has. If we want an indwelling of the Spirit to move in our lives in the direction that God is planning for us, then we have to sit and wait. So that idea of slow, the busyness of life just taken away, to sit in His Word, to sit in prayer to sit and wait in the slowness of life rather than the fast-paced busyness of life. So that's why I use this word indwelling, because if there's such a thing um, as words having pace, indwelling is a word that has a slow pace. And it's complete immersion. It's not straight in, straight out. Do your reading do your prayers, get on with the rest of the day. It's sitting in the chair that you don't normally sit in, sitting in, that's not a, that's not a oh, that's terrible grammar, that you don't normally sit in with your Bible on your knees, completely focused, completely in that spirit of waiting for God to speak in the situations, that decision that you never knew how. You were going to overcome it. What on earth am I going to do? Sitting and waiting for God to give you wisdom and guidance. It's sitting at a slow, slow pace, focused on the opportunities that God might reveal to us, being open to the possibility of being shaped by his wisdom, formed into his character of his son Jesus. And I found it a bit random that Asprey website had a list of all their different revivals. um, But it was helpful for me to know the dates uh, to mention them this morning. And I had never heard of Asprey before a couple of weeks ago. So for me, it maybe thought that this was a new and revolutionary um, part of history. But it was history repeating itself. And we saw this pattern emerging from its university and we might have different views on what revival might be to what Asprey's saying in terms of prayer and praise and um, people coming to know the Lord. And we can't know the motivations behind it but um, I don't think that's our decision to make. I think we, we show and we give the glory to God that if it is of him that it will be of him and that when the time comes for those people to come before the Lord, the Lord will decide um, the right and true decisions. So we have to give glory to God in the moment right now in a small town in Wilmore, Kentucky that there are people continually praising and worshiping God. But one of the lines that stuck out to me when I was reading on their website that it wasn't that they were seeking popularity or they were seeking this worldwide press that is upon them. But in 1970, when I read that out, it said, many had been praying for spiritual renewal and were now in an expectant mood. So for us, when we sit here, now I I always say this, that I am talking to myself as I talk to anyone else, but as we sit here today, whether we've waited on God this morning or not, are we in an expectant mood that He will come? Are we in an expectant mood that... An hour from now, we could be sitting, standing, worshiping God for three weeks that the people of Finnecke will rush in through our doors to hear and see more of what this Jesus and the Spirit is about. We need to be in this presence of waiting and expecting God to move and change our lives. That would have been amazing. (laughs) There's nothing to be sorry about, (laughs) and I think that's that's something that brings me joy. That we can sit here and stand and talk and be expecting the Holy Spirit to come, but we also live in the reality of life that we are a family together all wanting the same goal of wanting to see God move through each and every one of us and there are new faces here today. Um, Maybe this is your first time here but (laughs) I was thinking about this. I don't want to put pressure on anyone but I feel like God does he puts us in positions and he puts us in places in life that you are meant to be here today for whatever reason that may be. And it might be the one and only time that you come to Bethany and, um, or you might be here for 50 years and God has placed you here in this church for 50 years to, to worship him and to read his word and worship in this community. But if I'm given 47 seconds now, if you all bring your attention back, As Neil said, everyone switches off. Leave today in a mood of waiting and an expectation that God will move in and through our lives personally, but also corporately and also in finicky and the world around us. God wants a personal relationship with us as individuals, but he wants our church to be waiting and expecting him. He wants us to be in our workplaces, living out our life, to be models of what he wants. And also, he wants us to be waiting on that time that he will return, but in a frame of mind that we go and share that good news. And now I'm waffling, so I'm going to pray to finish. But this is something that really does um, excite me. It's something that I really hope that it comes across to you today, that when you sit in your Bibles, when you sit in your Word, that you wait for God to speak to you because there will be decisions that we don't understand that God wants to to feed into. So let me pray. Father, we thank you um, for this morning and Father, we wait um, for you in our word and in our prayers, Father, I pray that you speak into our life. You speak into the challenges that we face. You speak into the celebrations and the joy that you have given us. Father, as we as we praise you this morning, the words that we sing aren't, aren't just words. Father, that we when we read them, when we sing them out with our voices, that we're sending that up to you in praise and worship. And Father, that, that they will speak to us and Father, you speak to us um, in these times of, of praise, but in communion when we remember your son Jesus coming down to this earth and um, to bear that weight, to bear that sin and pain on the cross. So Father, we thank you, I pray, for. Everyone who sits in front of me this morning, Father, I pray that you be with them. Father, I pray that you give them time, that you carve out um, the moments that they can sit and wait before you. And Father, we thank you for that. And we pray all these things and give all the glory over to you in your name. Amen.